Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. You can have a seat as our kids are dismissed uh, to Children's Church. And want to say just again a word of welcome uh, to any guests that we have with us. So excited that you're here. We are in the middle of a, a sermon series through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, uh, exposition through uh, this wonderful, wonderful book. We are coming to the close. A large section within the book of Galatians last week, um, we took a look uh, at verses uh, 6 through 10. And uh, just remind you real briefly how quickly we run to a different gospel. Uh, Jesus plus anything is no gospel at all and that we must fear God rather than man. Uh, the Apostle Paul wasn't trying to be mean or uncharitable, but rather uh, point out the, the false teaching and the false gospel that was being proclaimed and, and saying God's judgment would be on those, that they would be judged before the Lord for preaching a false gospel. And he is encouraging um, them to consider that in light of that reality, but Nonetheless, Paul says, I must please God rather than man. And if I would, can point you to, encourage you to listen to that sermon from last week on our podcast or on our website. But the apostle is continuing, I remind you, arguing towards that this gospel does not belong to him. It is not man's gospel. So we don't have the luxury or the right to manipulate it. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. We can't make it fit our desires for selfish motive or for selfish gain. There is only one true gospel. And the apostle is telling these churches and responding to the false teachers therein and says he in fact is preaching the one true gospel of Jesus Christ and it does not come from men. Instead, it has come from the Lord. He has received it from the Lord. He's going to continue to make this argument and make this point more clear over the next couple of Sundays and over the next few verses. This is God's gospel. And he has made it known to the Apostle Paul, and he's made it known to the other apostles as well. And I had no need to go and confide in them, or did I go and seek their counsel? The Lord has given to us a gospel, the same gospel that shares in the same substance, person, and purity. It is the same gospel. That's Paul's point for the next few verses. And to these Galatians, you need to know that the gospel... These false teachers are teaching to you is not the same one. It is a false gospel instead. And we've got a lot to unpack, so let's get started this morning. If you would stand in the honor and reverence of reading God's word, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, looking at verses 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond, beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous I was for the traditions of my father. But when he had set me apart, when he who had set me apart before I was born... And called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then three years after, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judah, Judea and our, that are in Christ. They were only hearing of, of me and saying, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that by your spirit you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, that we would see Christ and Christ alone, that we would see his gospel, we would see the purity and the power and the effect of your gospel this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would give us hearts to receive your word and to hear it with clarity and to be changed, to be moved, and that we would apply your word. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to call your attention to a few things. Number one, I want to call your attention to Paul's conversion and call, Paul's travel, and also the Lord and Savior of the Apostle Paul and of all believers in Christ. Number one, Paul's conversion and his call. I get this from verses 13 through 16. I put 13 through 16 because Paul's argument is grounded in these verses. But note verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, in other words, I want to make it clear, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's his thesis that he's going to begin to flesh out. For or because I did not receive it from any man. So that's part of his argument. Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul is arguing from the source of this true gospel is grounded in authority. And his appeal is to the authority of the Lord himself. It stands to reason that my gospel is the true gospel, the gospel of grace, and it was given to me by the one ultimate authority, namely God himself. Yet you're preaching, these false teachers are preaching to you a different gospel. So my question to them logically is, what authority do they get their authority to preach this false gospel? And the answer to that is none. And what follows in verses 13 through 16 is perhaps the most descriptive and autobiographical writings of the Apostle Paul's conversion in all the Bible. Paul knows his story. Paul knows his calling of the grace of God. God is calling him to himself and God is calling him on his life. Do you know your story, Christian? The Apostle Paul knows his story very well. Do you know your story, Christian? I'm often amazed that when I ask this question and hear of testimonies and conversions of the God's saving grace, that often more sinners around themselves their effort, their church accolades, or maybe a diminishing, diminishing of their story of, oh, well, I grew up in church. It was just kind of a natural thing that I would do. Or my story is really not all that radical, really not all that significant. And I think the Apostle Paul would reason with you much 
differently. And would challenge you to really consider the true nature and the true salvation of the Lord and his gracious mercy towards you. And I think what the Apostle Paul is doing and building here is he's building and compounding what this true gospel really is and the depth of it and the glory of it and the splendor of it and the graciousness of it. And I want to sprinkle that in all around this morning and really unpack what the Apostle Paul means here. He knows his story to be a story of grace. And he knows his story very well. You first see his former way of life. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He writes to the church at Philippians 3, he says, If anyone thinks they have more reason to boast in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I know my former way of life. I know what I was aspiring to. I was advancing. You note the text in verse 14? I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. And my father's before me. Paul knew his former way of life. He knew I was content in my former way of life. He's saying, I was set. I wasn't looking for anything to change my course. I was fulfilled in my calling from man to be a Pharisee. I know what Judaism is like, false teachers. I know what this is coming from. I know the source of these false teachers. I was pursuing the family business of my forefathers before me and the traditions of men I was inspiring to be like. I was living the dream. I was content. I was happy. I was growing. I was advancing. I was zealous about all the things of life, but the pursuit of my life in the end, I didn't even know it, was a vain pursuit that was leading to my destruction. He says, I know my former way of life, the zeal that I had. The passion that I had following my forefathers before me. I was advancing in those things. Verse 15, but. It's a word that marks sharp contrast. But, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. But when He. This is a but God moment. How many of you know this to be true of your own story as well? That you were content in your life. You were advancing in your life in all the wrong things, in all the things of this world. You were happy, maybe even satisfied, aspiring and pursuing all the things of this world, living in sin, living in rebellion against God. Well, maybe you say, well, I wasn't really rebelling, really rebelling, but rather you were without Christ and you were to be condemned before him because of your sin, beloved. You're a sinner by birth. You're a sinner by choice. And you're a sinner by action. And without Christ, you were living for yourself. But God intervened in your story and saved you. 
For Paul, he was walking down a Damascus road full of zeal. Do you see what he's saying? I'm full of zeal, full of passion, full of my former way of life, advancing on my way to do what I've done countless of times, ravaged against the church, destroy the faith, and persecute those who profess Christ as Lord. And in Acts 9, he says, but I met Christ on the Damascus road and he changed my life. But God, on that road to Damascus, changed me and transformed me and called me in Acts 9, verse 15 and 16. He chose me in Christ. He set me apart. He saved me. I'm saved by God, called by God to be an apostle. He who knew me and set me apart before I was ever even born. He is hearkening back to Jeremiah 1 of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. The same is true of Isaiah as well. Chosen in Christ. Set apart in the Lord to proclaim the gospel to the world. That's true of Paul. That's true of you, Christian. He was, it pleased God to set him apart, to call him, and it pleased him to reveal his son to him and to call him to this apostolic office. And Paul says, God did it all. He knows his story. Do you know your story of conversion, Christian? How you were bought from death to life by the grace of God. And the uniqueness of the Apostle Paul's calling is that it wasn't a progressive revelation. He was saved, converted, and called in his apostle all radically. And it was a display of God's goodness and grace. And Paul says, I didn't receive this gospel from anyone. I got it from the Lord himself. On the road to Damascus, he saved me, and he called me by his grace, and he called me to be his apostle. He set me apart. He called me by his grace and revealed his son to me and called me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's conversion and, call, and Paul's calling. Secondly, and we'll get into some mystery here, Paul's travel, verses 17 through 23. Paul continues, again, bumping back to verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Paul is continuing to build his point. He says, I want you to know where I got this gospel of grace from. And I did not consult with anyone, literally. I did not consult literally with flesh and blood. I got it instead from God himself. He revealed it to me, and I didn't have to go run to the other apostles and say, can you teach me this? It was revealed to the apostle Paul, and instead, I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus, which was the very road in which he traveled when the Lord saved him. There is, in fact, some mystery here. And exactly where the apostle Paul went during this time, he apparently was gone for three years, as noted in the text. Some believe that he went out into the wilderness of the region of Mount Sinai, much like older prophets would have done so, to commune with God. And there's no doubt much the Apostle Paul would learn, but yet in another sense, he already knew all of these things. He merely had a new lens of which he would interpret the Scripture. The Apostle Paul was acquainted with the Old Testament. 
He knew the Old Testament scripture. He was a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament text. But now he knows Christ and now he knows the proper way in which he is to exegete or understand the scripture. This is what happens in the book of Acts when people are converted. Tons of Jews, thousands of Jews converted and understand that the way that they've been reading the Old Testament has been wrong. It's to be interpreted through the lens of Christ. Even priests would do this. A countless number of priests in Acts 6, 7 even became obedient to the faith. More than likely, the Apostle Paul, rather than going to the region of Mount Sinai, went instead to the kingdom of, Nor- of, of, of northern uh, Nabataea, which in those days was, the, was considered Arabia, and it included within that the city of Damascus. He notes this in 2 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul gives us a little bit of a clue here. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32 and 33. He says, At Damascus, under the governor of King Artetus, who was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through the window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is almost identical to what the book of Acts speaks of in Acts chapter 9 as well. And what you're going to see is Acts 9 and Paul's story in Galatians is correlating with one another. One's giving a more specific in-depth view and one's more broad. But Acts 9, 19 through 25. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, watch this, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded to the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days passed, the Jews plotted against him. So here they go, conspire against the Apostle Paul, as he's noting in 2 Corinthians 11. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening of a wall, lowering him in the basket, i.e. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't think the Apostle Paul was on a vacation or hiding Nor do I think, though this apostle was young, didn't fully have the gospel. He had the gospel. He knew the gospel. He was even proclaiming Christ. And Luke, it says, immediately he was proving that Christ is the Messiah. And he was doing so and had been doing so for about three years. More than likely, as noted in this text, before his conversion or after his conversion, before taking a brief visit to Peter, I'm unpacking Galatians 16 through 20 right now. Look in verse 18. Then after three years, so there's the three years. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him. That's Cephas is Peter. With him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Paul's point in all of that is say, guys, it was 15 days. Either I had to do a lot of conspiring with them, or Paul's point stands that I didn't learn the gospel from them. I had it already. It was revealed to me by Christ. Peter added nothing to me, the apostle says. I just thought it would be good given that we share the same gospel that we might chat a little bit. I would love to hear some stories about walking with Jesus as Peter did. That's pretty incredible. 
And maybe we can bring in a network together, but do keep in mind that three years have passed when you're reading the book of Acts between 25 and verse 26 of Acts 9. Look at verse 26, picking the story back up in the book of Acts. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And Peter is telling the Galatians this. He says, I didn't get the chance to meet the other apostles. They were all skeptical about me. But I did get a chance to meet James, the Lord's brother. Wow, what an incredible angle to hear of the risen Lord from. Hey, James, can you tell me about his childhood? What was it like, James, to, be, to, to have family disputes with your older brother and always be wrong, James? What was that like? James, do you realize you're the only your little brother that takes the heat? Do you realize that? Every other older brother takes the blame, but it must be tough for you, James, huh? None of the disciples would come and meet him, he says. In fact, all were scared. And you see in Acts 29, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Namely, he's talking of Peter and James there. And declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly the name of Christ. He says, I'm not lying to you about this, Galatians. Apparently the false teachers maybe had questioned Paul's integrity, took a shot at his integrity. He says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. But note again in Acts 9, 28 through 30. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly, in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But when they were seeking to kill him, and when the brothers had learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarshish. He says, I was only in Jerusalem for 15 days, barely enough time to get to know these two guys, and certainly not enough time to conspire with them about anything. And then, verse 21, then I went off into the region of Syria and Cilicia, which is the exact same area that Acts 9 just referenced of Caesarea and Tarsus. Tarsus being a major city, actually, in the region of Cilicia. Galatians 2, 22 and 23. Again, this back and forth. I don't want it to confuse you. But he says, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it saying, he who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what we don't have is a detailed day-by-day analysis and basis of the Apostle Paul. And so I don't want to preach a sermon on conjecture of what may or may not be there, but I also don't want us to miss what is absolutely clear. The Apostle Paul isn't just sitting on his hands either. The Apostle Paul, it appears as the apostle is immediately and actively participating in his calling to preach. How's this for an evangelism strategy? Know the gospel, share the gospel. That's the apostle Paul's strategy, it seems. I know the gospel, I'll share this gospel. And we live in a day, folks, that we have a ton of different evangelism strategies and programs. You could probably name a hundred of them. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But we've also created kind of a tiered system of calling in Christianity. And I think maybe even try to impose that on the Apostle Paul as well. Well, he's sort of kind of getting some kinks worked out until he gets ready for the big leagues. And I think so often we have that same posture within our church that it's not enough to be transformed by the Lord. you got to learn the Christian lingo. 
You've got to learn four points in a prayer. You've got to learn five different evangelistic strategies. And then you've got to reach a certain maturity level before God can really use you. Yet for the apostle, he's called in Acts 9 and Galatians 1 and seems to waste no time in Damascus and Arabia. 2 Corinthians 11 and Acts 9, he was immediately proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, preaching Christ boldly there. Even in this text, did you notice it? Paul had a reputation. Look at verse 23. They were only hearing it. Paul had a reputation. They heard about this man. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Paul received this gospel. And he wasn't waiting around or sitting on the hands. He, he, he had the gospel. He knew his story and he shared the gospel and he shared his story. Christian, do you know your story? Do you share your story, Christian? Get trained, sure. Learn methods, dive deep in doctrine, but don't delay that calling of the Lord on you for a future time that is uncertain. And I think one of the tactics of Satan today is to convince a bunch of Christian and convince a bunch of churches that you probably really shouldn't engage in God's mission in the world until you really feel qualified to do so. I mean, who am I to do something like that? I didn't go to school. I, 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 I've been walking with Jesus, well, it really, I guess it has been about 30 years, but my goodness, I'm still not qualified to do that. I, I really don't know much. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad that I just described about 80 plus percent of churches in America. That we sit on this gospel and we sit on our hands and we do nothing with it. And the Apostle Paul says, no, I have this gospel. And he has called and commissioned me to go and preach this gospel. And I'm not waiting three years to do it. I'm not waiting 15, 20, 30 years to do it. I'm not waiting on the next evangelism strategy from the state to come in and tell me how to do it. I'm going with this gospel to preach this gospel to a lost and perishing world that is before me that God has sent me and called me to that end. Do you know this gospel? Do you share this gospel, Christian? Is knowing the gospel not enough? Surely it's enough. Do you know this gospel? Then what are you waiting for? Share this gospel. Lastly, I want you to see our Lord and our Savior. I get this really holding this text together, verse 11, 13 through 16, and also verse 24. I think what Paul has just unpacked about his travel and calling, as you were flipping back and forth between Acts and Galatians, would leave almost any of us perplexed. Like there's so much mystery there. There's so much unclarity there. And I think in the minds of the human heart, and that's why I said that, we start trying to fill in the missing pieces. But folks, we don't have that luxury when it comes to the written and revealed word of God. We don't get to speak where the scripture does not. We speak where the scripture speaks and we remain silent where the scripture remains silent. And so I don't want to just start searching for conjecture or what may seem unclear. But instead, I want to point you to something that is crystal clear. And even though we can't fully comprehend something about his calling and his conversion, doesn't mean that it's not true. But regardless of what maybe is or isn't there, there is something explicitly clear and crystal clear in the text. And I want to focus our attention to what is clear, even if there may be some mystery behind it. 
Did you notice the bookends of this text? Look at verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not man's gospel, and the glory of the gospel is not man's either. So in verse 24, he says, and they glorified God because of me. Have you noticed what the Apostle Paul is unfolding here? Do you notice the story of redemption, Christian, that it is truly a story of God's gracious redemption in you? Beloved, I want to lay before you and for you to consider the true nature of the Lord and his gracious mercy towards you, that God's work of grace is absolutely incredible and gracious. That regardless of your story, whether you were saved at a young age or later in life, whether you lived by the world's standards, were a gross sinner, or maybe you were just a small one by the world's standards, regardless if you feel like you have a story that was worth sharing or a story that you don't think is worth sharing at all, I want to point you to the reality that behind every Christian salvation is the bringing from death to life, being dead in your sins, deserving the total condemnation before God, that by the Lord's grace and only by His grace you have been received and accepted before him you are alive in Christ you have a story worth telling and it is a story that is worth living and the apostle Paul and his point is that this gospel that he received is a gospel that is totally by the Lord's grace and from beginning to end salvation is of the Lord and here's the mystery That behind the response of an individual of repent and believe Christ for salvation, behind that response that we see is the sovereign work and calling of the Lord. That behind the repentance of your sin and the confession of Christ as Lord is a gracious gift of God at work. transforming you by the power of the Spirit of God, breathing life into your dead corpse and causing you to be born again. It is God at work who is actively saving you. He says to Peter, he says, Peter, what do people say about me? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are correct, Peter. (laughs) You're correct in saying that, but flesh and blood did not tell you of this. It didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Jesus, you're a great teacher. What must we do to to be with you? God must be with you. Jesus' response, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. Well, what must I do? What must I do? Can, Can I enter into my mother's womb for a second time? No, Nicodemus, you can't do that. Don't marvel, don't marvel of what I said to you, Nicodemus. Your earthly birth happened to you, and so it is with your spiritual birth. John 3, 7 and 8, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it goes, comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How does that square? How does that square with repent and believe the gospel? And don't hear me absolving humanity of responsibility to repent and believe. To the contrary, this gospel demands a response. So go, preach the gospel, and from this pulpit, every single week you hear revivals, you hear in church services, the gospel being proclaimed for decades. 
The universal call of the gospel for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. And so that's why I preach. Come, repent, believe Christ, trust Christ for salvation, trust the Lord. Would you respond to that end? What am I doing? Proclaiming the gospel to all people but trusting that behind it, through it, and in it all, God is at work. That's why we say we preach the gospel and God saves the people. Do you know your story, Christian? Have you considered your story to this end that behind your feelings, emotions, wills, behind your repenting and believing Christ was and is the sovereignty of God and his incredible grace towards you? For the Apostle Paul, he was on his way to persecute Christians. And he didn't just have this grand epiphany and think, what was I thinking? God saved him. You, some of you have heard my story. I was on my way to tell God I'm done with him. He says, I'm not done with you. What about you? Do you know that that's your story as well? Do you notice what he says? Even in the mystery, what Paul makes crystal clear, perhaps the most pronounced clear verse, points us to verse 15 and 16. Look at it again. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, he who set me apart before I was born. This was no accident, folks. This wasn't an accident for the Apostle Paul to be walking down the road to Damascus that day. It's not an accident. There was no accidents in God's economy. There are no accidents in God's economy. Only appointments. And there is no thought or verse more explicit that, it reveal, that reveals the sovereignty of God that this gospel is totally of God's grace. That before you were born, before you did anything good or bad, God chose you in Christ and by his grace. He would and he does in his own timing draw us by his grace. Here's Ephesians 1, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoption as sons, as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Romans 8, and we know that for all things, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our God is in the heavens, folks. And he does all that he pleases, Psalm 135, 6. And he has mercy on whom he has mercy, Romans 9, 18. And would you, what I'm asking us to do is push past the decisionism within our culture. 
push past the decisionism within our culture and see that the word of God is speaking to us that salvation from beginning to end is of the Lord. And albeit in God's sovereignty is consistent with the free agency of man as stated in our confession of faith, but push beyond the decision. Push beyond why I decided to follow Jesus. Peel back the curtain of salvation and see what the revealed word of God said. It was the hand and sovereign work of God through all eternity, working, wooing, ordaining, and bringing about salvation for his people. Christian, you are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And if that thought gives you frustration or brings about mystery, let me encourage you to push past the frustration and examine the scripture and see that these things are so. And it is the most clear and most beautiful comforts in all the Bible. And may our hearts be moved from wrestling with God's grace to resting in God's grace in the fullest expression I remember very vividly speaking with a friend of mine. We were standing on a beach looking across a sea that just went beyond our sight. And he was wrestling with this very reality. He said, I don't get it. I just can't understand it. I have so many questions. What about this and what about that? And I said, David, the God that made this entire world, the very expanse that you see before you, formed you. Knit you together in your mother's womb. Set you apart from all eternity. Chose you in Christ and said, I want that man in my family. And I'll do anything to have him in my family. And he broke down in tears. And he says, you mean to tell me that he loves me this way? I said, he loves you that way, David. He loves you in that way, David. He loves you so much. And he doesn't want you to wrestle with it. He wants you to rest in it. He loves you. From all eternity, Christian, God in Christ set you apart, elected you, saved you. You are set apart, Christian. That is your story. Who called me by his grace. This is God's grace at work for you are in your sin, content in living with the things of this life. You are zealous for the things of this world, following after all the pursuits and passions of your forefathers before you. And this is precisely why it took divine action and God's grace to call you and save you. The word that's used here is the word kalisos. It comes from the, from the term kaleo. It means to call. To call out or to summon. That's been Paul's point. That this gospel is a gracious work of God. And you're deserting Christ when you desert this gospel. You're deserting him who called you. Kaleo. Grace comes from the Lord. He says, I've received this gospel by his grace. He called me, the apostle Paul says. And he called you too. Kaleo. There's nothing in man that can save himself. Only a divine work of God can do that through his Holy Spirit. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's building upon one another, beloved. Set apart, chosen, called by his Spirit. He continues in verse 16. Please to reveal his Son to me. 
This is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, bringing about his transformation, making us into new creatures, replacing our heart of stone for a heart of flesh, changing our affections and our desire, causing you to be born again. The wind blows where it wills, Nicodemus. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And it pleased the Lord to do this. For he loves to save sinners. The literal phrase in the Greek is that he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Not just to me, but in me. Note 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And without His Holy Spirit and without His working in salvation, you would remain dead in your trespasses and sin. Only God can do the work of salvation and He does all of it. Dead in your sin, enemies of God, heart of stone, content in living in sin, the gospel veiled to you in your unbelief, perishing in your sin and because of your hardness of heart. The God of this world has blinded your hearts that kept you from seeing the light of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You had no hope in this world and you were without Christ. And the only hope that you had in this world to be saved is that God himself would save you. And the good news of the gospel is that he didn't forsake you. He didn't didn't condemn you. He didn't leave you without hope in this world. And in mercy and in grace and in total grace, He saved you. He chose you. He called you. He awakened you to the beauty of the gospel, brought about your repentance and faith. Salvation is of the Lord. This is God's gospel, folks. And it's totally His gospel. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to man. And you don't want it to be man's gospel either. Because man's gospel would have looked at someone like the Apostle Paul and said, You're out. Count him out. Condemn him. You sinner. And the only one righteous in the eyes of man and man's gospel is himself. But this isn't man's gospel. This is God's gospel. No man would have ever looked at the Apostle Paul and graciously extended grace to him and called him. And the truth is, beloved, if this were man's gospel, Paul would be excluded. But the truth is, beloved, if it were man's gospel, you would be excluded as well. If it were man's gospel, you would be excluded as well. But this is God's gospel. And a God who is holy and just and gracious and kind and good and loves to extend his grace to save sinners, even the most vile offenders. It is such a good and such a wonderful Savior. Do you know your story, Christian? Do you know your story? Do you know your Lord, beloved? He did all of this in order that we may preach Christ. Set apart, called by his grace, pleased that the Son would be revealed in him that we may preach Christ in the world. I'll say it this way, beloved. He hasn't saved us to sit. He saved us to serve. We're to go and to proclaim this gospel, to proclaim this good news to all people and to all nations, looking to Christ,
as the only gracious Savior of the world who loves to extend grace to the worst of sinners. Do you know this gospel? Do you know this sweet, deep, mysterious, yet true and gracious gospel of our Lord and Savior? Sinner, do you hear this gospel? Do you hear this gospel? Do you hear him calling you this morning? Do you hear him calling you to repentance and faith this morning? May you respond to this end, beloved. As we prayed this morning, may you respond to this end before it is eternally too late. Would you respond to this gospel? Don't harden your heart. Repent. Believe the gospel. See the one and only Christ put to death for sinners on a sinner's cross for the sin of the world and for your sin. See him dying in your place. Repent of your sin. Trust in Christ for righteousness. He is the only resurrected Lord and he's the only true gospel and the only gospel that can save you. Would you respond in repentance to faith to this gospel this morning? Let's pray together. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m., If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.